for great-looking T-shirts, hoodies, and sweatshirts. The TNT Shop is now open at tntradio.live. Germ Warfare is Jeremy now on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Jim Warfare at tntradio.live. It's my email address. As always, thank you for sending me mails. As always, thank you for telling me where in the world you are. Um, I, I do read your emails. I don't reply to all of them because I get too many mails on average. But I will reply to them if they do require a reply. Jump into the live chat. And by all means, uh, watch us. We are now streaming 24-7 uh, video. So normally I, I thank Alex. Uh, who's in the studio, but now I thank Alex and Joel because they are two guys who are bringing this show to you and uh, and making me and my guests look somewhat somewhat professional. Uh, I would I would I would argue that it's very uh, uh, very low budget. We we keep a very a uh, low bar here so that when it does go well, we can celebrate. <laughs> All right, let's do this, Alex. <laughs> my, my name is Jim. This is Jim Warfare, the Battle of Ideas. Talk that matters. For once, we just need to do what's best for this damn country and not what's best for the world. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. My friend Bob Moran, thank you for joining me in the trenches. Oh, it's great to be with you again, Jeremy. It's been a long time. It has, it has. That's why I had to name drop there, my friend Bob Moran. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> who I've never met in real life. <laughs> no, but isn't that weird, hey? Um, so like the COVID era um, really accelerated this, this idea of digital connections around the world. And on the one hand, I don't like the sort of technocratic um, evolution of the world, but I also do enjoy the fact that we can do exactly this. Yeah, it's sort of impossible to resist. And I mean, if we, if we had not taken advantage of the machine they essentially built to do all of this to us, we would never really have been able to resist at all and make the connections and, and make things happen. So mm. I still try wherever possible to do things in real life and bring people together physically in the same place. But um, we're just forced to do things like this, unfortunately, more and more. Yeah. How are you doing? It's been a long time since we chatted. You have been doing a pile of things over the last few months. Yeah, I've had an unusual year. It's been very different 2023 for me. Um, I I started out normally doing my cartoons and hiding up here in my attic and putting my work out till about May, I think. I got as far as the coronation and I did a very flattering portrait of the new king for that. And then I started to work on this show that I've done, a one-man show, um, which took the rest of the year basically and we did it at the beginning of november in london for two nights so that's been a completely different experience for me not something i ever imagined i'd do in my career and it's been it's taught me a lot of things it's been really interesting um and part of that was having to look back over the last three years over how things unfolded and how my thinking developed and also just look at all the work i've done which is about 400 different images cataloging this whole thing that was fascinating because it's i don't know if you ever do this but it's it's unusual to just look at a huge chunk of your work like that together and kind of analyze it uh, i have done that um but not recently you know that's what you would do when you put a book together but i i don't know about you but i don't like looking at my own stuff i, I cringe no i don't 
No, I really don't. Even things from a, a month or so ago, you know, you, a- anything you look at after a while, you can immediately spot stuff you could have done better or think, oh, I could have, mm. I could have changed that a bit. It's, um, it's hard. You have to do it now and again, cause it's important. Otherwise you don't develop. Um, I mean, sometimes that's the interesting thing about this era that I'm happier generally with my work um, when I look back on it than I ever was previously when I was working for newspapers, you know, and I think that's to do with the the nature of what I've been covering and the fact that it, it has such a, a long shelf life. Unlike other stuff before, you know, I was I was covering a topic that was irrelevant two days later. So when you look back at it, yeah. a lot of the time you can even remember what the story was or why it was important. Um, obviously yeah, actually, now that's it's a good point. Yeah, it's something yeah. that that I've been thinking about for a long time. That the the difference between sort of local immediate affairs versus the uh, longevity type affairs, which uh, are the bigger picture issues, and in many ways more important. Yeah, of course, and that that is you, you come to realize that's the trap of mainstream media. It's part of what it's there to do is is to um, shut out the narrative, the overarching narrative of the rest of the world and keep people focused locally on things that are ultimately inconsequential, really. And that's the great thing about where I am now is I can just cover these big issues that are relevant to millions of people all over the world. And I try not, I, tr- I largely ignore what's happening in this country and what our politicians are doing, um, partly because I think it's so boring and it, it just doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things. Mm. Yeah. Let's go back to your, your show. Uh, tell me more about yeah. that. So it was a pretty crazy idea I had at the beginning of the year, because obviously there's lots of events, people on our side organized live podcasts and seminars and things. And I'd been to a lot of them and I went to one in about February, March time. And I just thought, Hey, maybe I could do something, some kind of show. Um, I didn't really, have any specific idea of what it would be so i started to think about it and um originally i envisaged uh, kind of a, a powerpoint presentation basically where i show my work and i just talk about what's happened um i wrote a draft script for it that was really quite ranty and aggressive and kind of here's what's happened and here's who's behind it and you need to wake up you stupid fools uh, then I got uh, I got a friend of mine, Tanya Edwards, who's a comedian here. I don't know if you've heard of her. Um, I, I asked if she would help me with the script. And she read my first draft and, and very kind of politely said, uh, you can't do you can't do this. <laughs> this way, this won't work. Um, Maybe know, let's go down a notch. <laughs> turn it down a notch. And um, this she said, this can't just be a Bob Moran loving. You know, and you, you can't just do something for people who already know your work and already like your position. You have to set out first and foremost to make a good show that anyone can come and see and go away saying, well, that was a good show, even if they disagree with the things you've said. That's obviously a much harder thing to do, which is why it took a long time. Um, but, you know, we realized we had an opportunity because because I'm slightly different like you are to other people who just have stuff to say or write we've actually produced visuals so immediately there you have a different kind of experience for people um and obviously my story is 
unique and I, the things that have happened to me. Um, so we realized that I had an opportunity to potentially get through to people on the other side where others had failed. Um, so that was the, the show really was uh, telling my story and looking back over the last three years and kind of just explaining my thought process. So where I started and why I changed my mind and why I decided to oppose it and then what happened, but also trying to get across this overarching message of, you know, you um, you don't have to just do what you're told. You don't have to follow blindly. You, It's really important that you um, you reclaim your right to have agency and to make decisions about your own life for yourself. Uh, and it, it was very, it's very sort of self-deprecating. You know, I'm the butt of a lot of the jokes. I take the mick out of myself. Um, it developed into quite a, like a proper show. So uh, I had the stage was set up to look like my studio. So I had my drawing desk and props and a bookcase and everything. Um, massive screen behind me where I could show my work. But also there was a camera mounted above my desk. So I was doing live drawing and the audience could see what I was drawing. Um, then I ended up with a three-piece band on stage with me. And this amazing musician, Paul Handley, came on board and he wrote original music for it. Um, and we had props and lighting and there were streamers going off. And it was a big, a big thing. And people loved it. And the best thing was um, there were a lot of people there from the other side who had never either never thought about any of it or who were kind of aggressively opposed to it all. And a lot of them said afterwards they really enjoyed it and it had made them think differently about things, not necessarily change their mind, but they could, they said for the first time they could understand why there was opposition to it, which I was really happy about. I mean, that's all I wanted to do really with the show. Uh, I was just going to ask you, what, what was your goal, your aim? I mean, it's obviously more than just entertainment yeah um it was my aim was really to explain to people uh why i took the stand i did and why people like me have taken a stand against it all in a very reasonable and, and logical human way emotional way right um you know these these were my principles and that's why i took a stand also i just i just wanted to pe people to go away feeling empowered again because that's really yeah. one of the big problems here is people think they have no right to to say no when they're asked to do certain things um and i wanted them to try and understand how the media has worked through this how all the propaganda has worked because you obviously you and i have to understand propaganda because to an extent we use a lot of the same mechanisms so mm -hmm. i was I was trying to get that across to people. Look, this is what the news cycle is. This is how you're manipulated. This is how um, they distract you from this story to another story. Uh, this is how they try and use emotion to persuade you about things. And I think that really got through to people as well. Uh, yeah, they, yeah, they could kind of... There's nothing wrong, though, with using those devices. I mean, when, you, when you're drawing satirical cartoons, you that's exactly what you're supposed to do. It's part of um the messaging yeah exactly it's just you know we don't use it for evil but <laughs> correct 
<laughs> yes, and generally we also we also generally punch upwards, and this was a clear case of punching upwards. The entire the entire COVID era was about punching upwards. Yeah, that's interesting because there's a there's a device we came up with in the show, and this was actually quite late on in the writing process. Where, um, like I say, I, I was looking at all my cartoons together. And I suddenly realized that I had I'd created this character that I used again and again and again, which was like an everyman character who kept popping up in my cartoons. And I hadn't realized until I saw them all together that that's what I'd done. Um, and he was one in one of the cartoons. I called him Clive. So he, he then became this guy, Clive. And to an extent, that was unusual because he was he was the target in a lot of my cartoons. And like you say, most of the time your target is politicians, um, people in the elite, so you're punching upwards. But really, uh, although I was targeting Clive, it's still the politicians and the media had created this character, right? Uh, he was doing the things that he chose to do because he was being manipulated. And um, that we kind of restructured the whole show around this idea of basically all of us can fall into the trap of becoming Clive you know, and, and just don't be, don't be a Clive. Uh, and all you have to do to not be Clive is learn how to say no. <laughs> don't be a Clive. Make a t-shirt. Don't, don't be a Clive. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, but that's what we're thinking about. You gotta, you gotta think about merch always. Um, so that anyway, <laughs> the shows were, always have to, always the have to capitalize, like, exploit the ideas. <laughs> yeah. You know, as people say, I'm just a grifter, really. You know, that's what I'm doing all the time, trying to make money from this. Um, yeah, the shows were, were an amazing success. I mean, I hasten to add, not a financial success for me. Um, but they they went ahead. So we, we did them at the Bloomsbury Theatre in London, which is part of University College London, which I don't know if you know or if your listeners know, but that's pretty much the woke capital of the UK. Oh, well um, done probably the most kind of woke politically correct venue and i'm pretty sure they booked me by mistake because we'd been around every theater pretty much in london and most of them just said no they wouldn't even see me they wouldn't even show me around um one of the venues we approached said oh just to let you know we we went all in for vaccine passports uh you know we really uh, endorsed that idea no one could work here without a jab no one could come and see a show without a jab and then they said um we, we can see that he's probably against that. Um, this was, they were talking to, to <laughs> we can, we my co-writer Tony. Probably. <laughs> probably against that. And then they said, do you think there's any chance he might change his mind by the autumn? <laughs> <laughs> so, this, this is what we're getting everywhere. And then the Bloomsbury Theatre, I think it was probably uh, this manager who hadn't been working there very long, didn't bother to Google me or check my Twitter, just said, yeah, this sound, sounds great. Because obviously the way we pitched the show was, oh, he's a cartoonist and he's talking about satire and he's doing live drawing. It'll be a really different kind of show. Said, oh, that sounds fantastic. Yeah. Um, and they sent the contract. So I immediately signed the contract and paid the deposit <laughs> and then start getting these, these very nervous emails later saying, oh, um, looks like he might be talking about masks in this. Looks like he might be uh, against the lockdowns and things like that. Obviously, that once you've signed a contract, it's kind of too late. But they did, like, to their credit, the show went ahead and it was great. But we did have some problems and there were kind of warnings about 
potentially being cancelled and they decided there was going to be a, a protest there wasn't a protest but it was difficult it's difficult to put on something like that anyway but with the threat of it being pulled hanging over you right until the night that it happens yeah. it's quite stressful you know um they the, the thing they brought up quite soon in the early on in the process was uh they they said they'd had some complaints from staff about things i'd done about trans people um that they weren't happy with so they said can, can you agree to remove any of that content from the show now it's not in the show and it was never going to be there's none of that stuff in there because it's uh it would have been too complicated to shoehorn that in there would have had to have been a whole separate section where i explain how this is part of the same agenda and all of that and it just wasn't necessary but i didn't tell them that all i said was i'm not going to agree to anything because the whole point of this show is nobody tells me what i can say or draw anymore that's the whole theme um so that that was okay uh but still a lot of complaints were about that and i thought well this is just funny if if they do end up cancelling the show it will be for something that's not even in it anyway which is the way a lot of these things work now uh and then near the end there was some somebody somebody emailed anonymously and said they were from a pro israeli group and they were going to shut down the show because i was anti-semitic or something and at this point I, i've not anything i'd not even said anything about what was going on at all um which i said to the theater and they said well people read between the lines and I, I said, yeah, that, that that's not my problem, you know. Um, anyway, it went ahead. The, the first night sold out. The, the second night almost sold out. Um, standing ovations both nights. People loved it. It was so fun. I really enjoyed doing it. And I was so happy with the response. And I naively thought, now that we've done this in London, in, in the wokest theatre in the country, we can go and do it somewhere else. And we already had another theatre booked in Newcastle for January. Again, I'd signed the contract, paid the deposit. The tickets went on sale on the Monday after we finished the London shows. And three days later, I got an email saying, we're canceling your show um, because your, 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 some of your posts online um, discriminate <laughs> against people because of their identity. And that violates our, you know, our policy and our values. So obviously I said, okay, what content are you talking about? Because as far as I know, I've never done that and they still haven't told me uh what it is so i have no idea what they're referring to <laughs> unbelievable yep. bob all right hold on one second i'm just gonna quickly go to a break i'll be back with you shortly my okay. name is jim this is tnt radio tnt radio's chris smith despite being used to protect travelers from terrorists hijackers or violent drunks or those who were drugged out as they board and this has been going on since 1961 they won't be around this thanksgiving none of them air marshals were always meant to be invisible well you can guarantee that this thanksgiving ironically the biden administration has been hijacking air marshals for all kinds of other duties leaving the passengers they were meant to guard and protect completely helpless. Air marshals have been lumbered with assisting the chaos on the southern border. They might be called air marshals, but an unknown number are now seconded to work on the ground. Maybe they're ground marshals now, marshalling illegal immigrants on the border and doing the job supposedly meant for the United States Customs and Border Protection. Where are they? Chris Smith on TNT Radio. In other news, a recent government report on prescription drug pricing points to corporate mouth. 
Freedom of the press is about your right to know. What are you talking about, man? Look at his stats. It's about your right to be informed. Your right to access all types of information keeps us free as a nation. No, 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 no. Today, there are real threats to press freedom. And your right to know about the world around us. Look. Some threats are obvious, some are easy to miss, but they all put our way of life at risk. We must defend against all of these threats, no matter what kind of news is important to you. Justified putting American troops in harm's way. That's a great question. We must protect our right to know before it's too late. Understand the threats. Protectpressfreedom.org. A hoax about carbon dioxide in the climate has caused a global energy and economic disaster. Today's News Talk, TNT Radio. Bob, what were some of your themes in your show? Uh, obviously, there's there's a kind of broad theme about satire in general, cartoons in general, um, why they're important, how it works, the, the kind of... Um, practicalities of, of how you come up with a cartoon um, and what it's like working for a newspaper. There was a bit of backstory. So I talked about why I started drawing and I showed some work from, you know, way back when I was when I was a kid and how I got my job at the Telegraph and what that was like, the learning process. Um, and the news cycle is obviously a big theme, the way that you have to learn how the news cycle works on a weekly, monthly, yearly basis. So the same things keep coming up, which is actually is really important and relevant for the things that are happening now. Um, and the fact that, you know, <clears throat> I was really tested at the beginning because I wasn't ready. I was only 25 when I started that job and I had so much to learn. Uh, and then... I suppose another big theme is what happens to our relationship with government and particularly our relationship with satire when some kind of emergency is declared and they grab all these new powers and people adopt a completely different mindset about their the rights they have and their sense of agency in the world, their stake in the world, and really just getting people to question that. Um, obviously, a lot of my opinions and my comments are there in the cartoons. So I, I tried not to be too explicit in um, what I actually said in the show because the cartoons are doing that for me already. Uh, and then another theme is is sort of how things, whenever I think everything's fine and going really well for me, something tends to go really wrong. So that was a kind of a fun thing we had running throughout the show um, where, you know, just as I think everything's going great and I'm I'm winning awards and uh, um, I've got this big new audience, uh, I, I lose my job. And uh, there, there was lots of stuff like that. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then, and then just saying no is probably the biggest theme. Yeah, learning how to say no to authority. Um, I think that is probably one of the biggest lessons a lot of us have learned. Uh, me personally, I mean, I lost a huge amount of, of work also uh, when the COVID era began. Um, so my story is similar to yours in, in some ways. And what's interesting to me, though, Bob, is you were talking about satire and our relationship with, with authority. And it, 
it saddens me that that so many people who I thought had now come to our side, as it were, they had woken up, seem yeah. to have gone back into that trap again. They've fallen. They've fallen. They 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 walked on that banana peel and have slipped. Yeah, it's true. You know, I um I'd got to a point before I did the show really where I'd. I'd almost decided to change the kind of work I did because I'd spent so long dwelling on the people doing this and how disgusting they are and how evil they are. And I, I kind of thought, I feel like I've said all I need to say now. People have probably got the message. So I should just focus on us and the good stuff and the positive things we're doing. Because um, it's draining, you know, it's really, it's really saps your energy focusing on this horrible crap all the time. So... Uh, but then the last few weeks I've realized, no, most people still don't get it at all, apparently. So I, I'm going to have to go back and keep showing them, okay, this is what you've just seen. This is what you've just witnessed. This is your new reality. These are the people who contributed to it. That's everyone in pretty much in any authority position in the world. And you've got to start reevaluating everything. That's the whole thing about what we've just witnessed, what we've just been through over the last three, four years. It demands that you totally reevaluate and reassess pretty much every single thing about the world you thought you lived in and the way the world works. And mm -hmm. uh, that's a hard, I get that that's hard and it's frightening and some people just can't sustain it. And, and so they, they stop at a certain point. And whenever something new comes along that allows them to slip back into the matrix and to readopt these old ideas about oh, our government cares about us or our government cares about democracy or the Israeli government wants to defend its people, these ludicrous ideas that they've just seen are not true. They grab at it and they feel so relieved and they think, oh, okay, we can just, we can just, uh, um, you know, put the COVID thing over here as an episode that happened and it's finished. And now we can go back to the delusion that meant that could happen. That's what's so concerning. It's like if you if you go back to the world where you believe your government has your best interests at heart and these supranational bodies like the WEF don't really have any control and that uh, all of the the safety mechanisms in place for drugs, drugs and new drugs and, and trials and things, they're all fine. We don't need to worry about that. If you go back to that, all of this happens again and again and again. That's what's so concerning. And you're right that we saw it a bit with Ukraine. I mean, Ukraine was kind of um, feels like an appetizer now, like a starter course to what's currently happening. But you saw it with that where you've just had, say, the British government, the American government and the Canadian government totally trampling over democracy and freedom for two years, terrorizing their people, uh, doing things that killed their people, that they knew were killing their people, um, doing things that were unlawful, and really being quite um, adamant and obvious that they knew that's what they were doing. And all of a sudden, they, they are all talking about going in and defending the democracy and the freedom of Ukrainians. And everyone should have been thinking, but you don't care about democracy or freedom. If Putin's just invaded Ukraine, your position, if you're going to be consistent, should be great. We'd love a bit of tyranny. The more the merrier. Go and go and just terrorize them some more. That's what we've been doing over here to our people. And people adopt this narrative, the ridiculous narrative that 
we were suddenly the good guys that our government suddenly cared about democracy and we had to defend and also and this is you know the timing of these things so yes we we're expected <laughs> to believe okay we've had we've had two years where every government in the world um has been totally preoccupied with not dealing with but basically executing this plan for the fake pandemic and we're expected to believe that there was some conversation at the Kremlin where some guy goes up to Putin and says, oh, uh, Mr. Putin, everybody distracted. Now is perfect time to take back Ukraine. And Putin <laughs> yes. is going, no, absolutely not. We yeah. wait until exactly one day after pandemic declared over. This is when we invade <laughs> Ukraine. How stupid do they think people are? Like what? The timing of it, and it's the same with you. Look at what just happened on on October seven. <laughs> yes, um, Gaza. <laughs> yes, <laughs> at the exact moment. It's the same with you. Could you know? I mean, before we get into anything else about it with, with Ukraine, you could see that that the 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 elites of the world had kept this pot boiling for years, just, or just simmering at the back of the stove. And at the perfect moment for them and everything they're trying to do, they just turn up the heat and it boils over. It's the same with Israel Gaza. They've had, they've kept this thing at, at exactly the right level of tension, yeah. so that whenever they want to, they can just push a button, and the yeah, chaos erupts. exactly. I was I was kind of hoping, in hindsight, that they would have done Ukraine and Gaza at the same time, because then we would have had a singularity. Like nobody would have known <laughs> which way to focus. <laughs> yeah, that's true. They would have had. Um, they would have had. They would have. They would have had a Ukrainian and Israeli flag emoji. <laughs> on their Facebook profile. <laughs> That's the main problem. They they can't they they can't make people choose between flags. Yeah, and it was it, <laughs> yeah. if it wasn't One at so a time only. and horrible, it, it would be hilarious the way people just just took down the Ukraine flag and threw up an Israeli flag immediately. I asked I asked somebody the other day, do you know, do you know what a, a Yemen flag looks like? And he's like, what? Where is that? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. I did a cartoon about Yemen uh, right near the beginning of the Ukraine thing, uh, making that exact point. Well, it was to do with, you know, it was it was a guy stepping over a Yemeni child with a big box of aid to give it to a, a fat Ukrainian child. Um, yeah, nobody knows what it is. I expect everyone will forget where Ukraine is within a year. Yeah. You know, it's weird. It's like, photo, it's like Photoshop layers, Bob. Uh, the COVID era was yeah. amazing that it it removed all those layers in Photoshop and it came all the way down to the base layer, it's, right? Yeah. And we were we, yeah. we were able uh, to see everything. Now, this is pretty niche, Jeremy. This is pretty niche just for you and me. I mean, a lot of people don't know what we're talking about with Photoshop layers now. <laughs> okay, um, the layers of an I onion. I know what you mean. All right. Okay, we put, yeah. we're peeling away the layers of an onion, which is what which is what the COVID era allowed. But now all those yeah. layers have just come back. Everybody seems to have gone back into their the exact same positions as they were before COVID. And it's so sad. Have you, have you noticed, even the people who supported lockdowns and masks are now saying, no, 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 I, we, we didn't. I didn't support that. Yeah, there's an awful lot of that. Or, or there's what you see more is people trying to say, we did the best we could with the information we mm. had in a really difficult situation. And you think all the information you had from the outset told you this was completely mental and immoral mm. there was there was no information ever to justify the things you were doing but it partly 
they know that the people at the top here they really understand people's desire to just forget that how much people just want to forget things have happened um to justify their own actions and just move on and that's what the media does all the time it moves people on at the exact moment when what we should be doing is stopping and taking account of what's happened holding people to account properly analyzing it and dealing with it and there's never any time because oh there's a war over here oh there's another war starting over here oh you know um some there's some political scandal over here there's every everybody has moved on all the time constantly that was also a theme in my show trying to show you know actually look at how that's done but yeah it's it's a shame there are so many people who really thought understood things and they're they obviously haven't um because th aside from anything else it's like a, you know we've just had three years of horrific suffering um through all the measures implemented and and people are dying every day from from what's been done to them that will carry on for a long time in almost every country in the world and then what you have erupting suddenly in the middle east is just death and evil whichever way you look at it horrible horrible situation and it, you know the thing is like 10 years ago most ordinary people would respond to something like this by just saying this is horrible and it should stop we need to stop mm. it somehow because children are dying and that's horrible and you don't see that anymore now the people who take that position are nutcase conspiracy theorists or anti-semitic or, or whatever that's so interesting to me because the accepted response now is to just cry out for more bloodshed and death and to kind of try and justify the fact that well they killed their kids so they're allowed to go and kill some some in in Gaza you think who who thinks like that what kind of moral values is that you know that that because you killed my baby i'm going to come and kill yours and uh the no, no one no one's allowed to have that view anymore everyone has to take a side and everyone has to pretend that the Israeli government's interested in defending its people after spending three years desperately trying to kill them. Okay, it's like the Putin mm. thing. Okay, it's the same idea that that um, Benjamin Netanyahu locks all his people down. He makes them guinea pigs for the world for Pfizer, injects them with an obviously dangerous drug. Three years later, he's still doing it as if well, he just hasn't noticed. Then he makes them all have a green pass. So essentially he's making jews show papers to participate in free society the most disgusting place that could happen um and then somebody comes to him and says oh um i know you've been trying to kill as many of our people and children as you possibly can for three years but some terrorists have just come in and killed some people from gaza and he's gonna get he's gonna go oh no that is terrible that is awful we got to do we got to retaliate like he's not gonna go great thanks you know call up hamas and say thanks for the help with my project to murder my own people well i don't understand well, it te technically he did because <laughs> his party <laughs> funded <technically>. hamas <laughs> yeah but that's, that's another no. thing you know i mean people i you look into this and i've seen a lot of people saying look um Hamas is basically a branch of Mossad Israel created Hamas because they needed an excuse to pulverize those people because obviously if you create a massive 
uh, prison camp, which is mainly children and ordinary people who struggle to survive and get any food to eat, eat and you cut off their water and their electricity and you deny yeah. them the right to work and live freely, then obviously it's unlikely they're going to organically form a terrorist army that's going to attack you. So they had mm. to put that in place. So they had an excuse to attack. Terrorists. If someone told me mm. that, yeah, someone had told me that three years ago, I'd have gone, well, that's absurd. Now, when I, when I hear that, I think, uh, yeah, probably that makes more sense mm. than anything else. Why wouldn't they do that? Given what they have just shown themselves to be and the values they have. And the same is true of almost every other government that's that's getting involved in this. And people just can't see it. They can't get there because it's too hard for them to navigate a situation where there are no good guys. There, there really aren't. Yeah, I mean, and, and the the amount of, of vitriol that I've seen online is like nothing I've ever seen either. It's just like wipe them out, destroy them. I mean, people... I don't remember a time when people spoke like that. No, that's that's what I mean. It's like, um, I, I, and I think this is what's happened, that the ideas people have been forced to endorse and subscribe to over the last three years have totally inverted their whole sense of right and wrong. And it's aside from anything else, it's made people incredibly selfish. Um, mm. It's it's made them see children as expendable, right? Everything about this was getting you look at children first. You look at them as vectors of disease, and then you look at them as essentially uh, uh, human shields for adults. That's what's happened everywhere, and it's like people. It's reconditioned people, um, and it's terrifying the lack of moral compass most people now have. Mm. And and it was clearly by design. They spent a lot of money. And, and, and there was a lot of hard work went into breaking down these values that are innate in most people or were. Um, and you really worry about where it's going to go next. I do. Well, where we are going to go next quickly is a break. Bob, so I'll be back with you shortly. My name is Jim. This is TNT Radio. With his expert analysis and opinion, this is TNT Radio's Timothy Shea. Facts matter. And the fact is that until the COVID-19 genetic therapy injections hit the scene, we didn't have thousands of young athletes dying in competition, in training, or home asleep in their beds. We didn't blame things like a previously undiagnosed genetic cardiac anomaly, or taking too cold a shower, or walking too briskly to class. And the fact is that it wasn't Israelis that kidnapped Palestinian Olympic athletes in Munich and murdered them. It wasn't Israelis that blew up nightclubs in Berlin and Indonesia. It wasn't Israelis that drove a truck through a Christmas parade in Wisconsin or shot up a Christmas market in Germany. It wasn't Israelis that stabbed to death festival goers in Stockholm. It wasn't Israelis that did these things. Everybody's entitled to their own opinion, but you're not entitled to your own facts. From MAGAinstitute.com, this is Timothy Shea for TNT Radio. We all know what it's like to feel alone. But it just takes one new connection. Want to get out of here? To empower many. This is unbelievable. It doesn't take a superhero to bring forces together. We all have the power to reach out. Let's go! And help someone feel like they belong. Pretty cool, huh? We are stronger together. You're listening to Germ Warfare with Jeremy Nell on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Bob, another thing I was thinking about, I mean, since you and I are both 
cartoonists. Uh, what has happened to cartoonists? Recently, when I spoke with uh, Right Said Fred and um, Five Times August and so on, we spoke about what's happened to the music industry. Now, the question is precisely the same. <laughs> what has happened to cartoonists? I know a number of cartoonists and the overwhelming majority of them have bought into the current thing. They all went with the establishment. And I thought the whole point of political satire was to be the court jester. Yeah, that was the idea. That's that was always my approach. And, um, you know, we have a we, we have there's a community of cartoonists in this country because there's maybe only 15 people who work full time for main papers here. So we, we would meet up a few times a year. I always got on really well with all the other with all the other guys who did it. Um, even though we were working for politically opposed papers, it didn't really make any difference because you get together mm. and you can suddenly talk about paints and inks and geeky stuff. And it's a real relief, you know, um, and Photoshop. And you're, you're wired. You're kind of wired in a similar way, like cartoonists are unusual beasts, right? I mean, you have to have a quite a strange set of skills and interests and a particular type of cynicism to do it. So you, you, you are kind of um, similar people i think so it, we always got on really well and um <clears throat> really understood the value of them and how they work and and why it's so important they always used to mock me for working for the telegraph and say well, what's it like being paid to produce tory party propaganda every day ha 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 and then this starts and i'm suddenly the one working for the tory paper attacking the government and all of them are saying what they're doing is great. They need to do more of it. Lockdowns are fine. Put on your mask. You know, don't go and see your relatives at Christmas. They they just went with all of it. And I was really, I, I couldn't understand it at all. And I really thought, oh, maybe I'm just the first to understand. But within a few weeks, they'll all be doing the same things. But they never did. They still haven't. They They all started, most of them started attacking me, sending me emails saying, you've lost your mind. Um, you're embarrassing yourself and uh they yeah they they just um i don't understand it at all because like you say our main role is to call out hypocrisy to to hold authority to account um and and really cut through the nonsense and show people when things don't make any sense you know, or to look forward, to look ahead, right? You're, you're constantly trying to look ahead as a cartoonist and saying, if we do this now, here's what's going to happen down the line. Here's what, here are the precedents being set. Here's what will be acceptable tomorrow if we if we accept this today. And none of them seem to to see that. I mean, I, I know there was pressure um, on newspapers. There was lots of complicated financial stuff going on. They were taking sponsorship from the government. So I've no doubt that they would have been told, right, this is the line we're taking. This is the stuff you need to produce. But come on, like when it gets to a point after a few months when you can see the damage being done, why why would you keep doing it? Why why would you not stand up and say something? And most of these guys are in their 70s yeah. and 80s. Their career is is over anyway. It's not like it's not like like me where I had three young children and a mortgage to pay and I was only 35 years old, you know? Like it I, I put a lot on the line. Most of these guys are about to mm. drop off their stool anyway. And they they said nothing. They did nothing. It's extraordinary. And I mean, how do you how do you even reconcile lockdowns with being a good idea? It's something that I've never 
being able to figure out. I mean, I don't care what, yeah. just for the, for the sake of conversation, let's pretend now that you agree on everything else. But let's just say yeah. the one thing, lockdowns. How on earth do you think in any way, shape or form that that is an idea worth defending? Yeah, precisely. And, and you know, I don't know if you know, we've got this inquiry going on in this country now, um, COVID inquiry, which is just a total pantomime. And they aren't asking any of the right questions. Um, and, and clearly the whole point of it is to conclude that there weren't enough lockdowns and that <laughs> in future we need to hand control over to the WHO because our politicians are so incompetent. That is obviously what the outcome will be. Um, the lockdown thing is... And, and our side are guilty of this. Sometimes we can fall into this trap, but there's the danger is that there's this idea sometimes that, oh, well, if if the virus was as dangerous as people said, then they'd have been okay. Or if they had actually worked, they'd have been okay. So um, we are opposed to it. And oh, it's great because now we've been vindicated because we can prove they didn't work. Like That was never anything. There was never any argument in favor of them. There is no situation where they're okay because this was part of what I tried to get across in my show. You can have an emergency, you can have a problem, you can have a threat. It can be as real as you want it to be. The solution to that threat, even if it appears like it will address it, can still be on its own, completely insane and completely immoral. And that's what lockdowns were. I sometimes mm -hmm. use the analogy with people of... Um, having having woodworm in your house okay so i would say i'd say to you oh jeremy i had um so I, I this pest control guy came to my house the other day and he said i've got, got woodworm in my attic you know and he said uh it's a really serious problem he said if i don't do anything about it my roof will collapse in a few months okay so I, I said to him he, he said you have to do something and i said okay what what should i do you know, obviously I need to do something. What should I do? So he says to me, what you need to do is burn your house down with your children locked inside. Okay. <laughs> right, now, obviously I say, well, I'm not going to do that. That's completely insane and evil. And the guy says, what are you talking about? Are you, I, I didn't realize you were a woodworm expert. <laughs> what, how many degrees have you got in woodworm? Well, I don't have any. <laughs> what you're proposing is insane. Well, I'm sorry, but you don't have the right to an opinion on whether you burn your house down because you don't know about woodworm. Um, I say, oh, look, I'm not going to do that. It's disgusting. Oh, are you denying that fire destroys woodworm? That's not. No, obviously it will. Well, then this will work. And this is the whole thing. What do you mean by work? Yeah, it will work at the thing you're supposed to be addressing. It's still mental. That's what lockdowns were. That is how insane arguing in favor of lockdowns is. It doesn't make a difference. Now, obviously, there was no emergency. There probably wasn't even a virus. It was all fabricated. But that makes no difference to the argument against what was done. It can be as real as they want. It still should never have been on the table. And sometimes people on our side are guilty of not understanding that. Yeah, and the thing is, uh, coming back to the cartoonists, I would have thought, Bob, that that there would have been a stand being been taken by our guys, yeah. and the overwhelming majority of them simply didn't. They just became um, instead of being the punk rockers of the cartoon world, they became you know the the raging for the machine guys. 
Yeah. And the problem is when you abandon the principles of your craft to that extent, like they have, mm. it's very difficult afterwards, going forward, uh, for your work to really carry any weight. Or, or once you've compromised yourself like that, I, I occasionally look at what they're doing now and it's just ridiculous. None of it makes any sense at all. Yeah. Um, it's, but I suppose within their little world, in their paradigm of the mainstream media, where their cartoons are surrounded by nonsense stories every day, people think, oh, yeah, that, that makes sense. But I look at them and I just go, this is, this is so terrible and, and so much the antithesis of what satire is supposed to be. Um, yeah, I wonder now if, 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 I mean, history repeats itself. So maybe that is something to be hopeful about. Perhaps real political satire will make a comeback. But the way I see it at the moment, it is by and large dead. Yeah, but look, I mean, if I'd stayed at the Telegraph and if I, if I hadn't have been willing to put anything on the line and if I was you know, just concerned about keeping my job and supporting my family, which I might well have been, I wouldn't have produced any of the cartoons that I did. Um, therefore, all you would have, looking back in 50 years time at a history book, you know, I mean, you remember at school, like in your history books, if you're studying World War Two, they always say, you want to really see what was going on, look at the cartoons from the newspapers, right? That gives you a really good idea of what people really thought. Well, if people were to look back on this era, all they would see was cartoonists saying, yeah, there was an emergency. We all needed to lock down. Some idiots didn't wear masks and the incompetent government didn't do the lockdowns fast enough. And they go, well, look, this is what people really thought. This is, and it would be nonsense. Now, what that means is you look back at the World War II cartoons and go, well, what was going on there then? How can we trust that? <laughs> Probably nonsense <laughs> too. I was um, I was watching a stand-up comedian on Netflix recently. I forget his name now, but uh, very original comedian. And when I, if his name comes to me, um, I'll I'll tell you. Very clean, doesn't swear, nothing like that. Uh, and um, what I found refreshing is that he kind of appears to be on our side. Uh, if yeah. you read between the lines, but that was the thing that bothered me is that I needed to read between the lines about something that is so blatantly obvious. Everything is upside down, Bob. Yeah, and um, it's become such a huge risk now to say anything truthful or anything that you actually think. This is the thing with trying to get these venues and approaching these theatres, you know, all of the acts, people often overlook the, the acts that can perform in these places and how much they control what they say and how much they've tailored their, their act to make sure they can keep performing. And I, a lot of them, you speak to them privately, they know exactly what's going on and they're, they're against it or they think it was mad or nuts, but they would never, ever say it because they know they're not going to get into any venues and have a tour. Um, and yeah, you're right. It's, it's the most obvious thing. It's, it's the least debatable it's, it's thing flipped. in modern yes, times. There it's shouldn't flipped. be any debate, shouldn't be any controversy. And yeah, it's mm. flipped now. So 
the most obvious. I mean, you can you can go on stage, Bob. Sorry, sorry for sorry for interrupting, but you can go on stage as a comedian and you can rip into people who were opposed to masks, right? But be a comedian yeah. and go on stage and rip into people who wore masks, and and the show is going to get cancelled. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I had a bit of this with <laughs> one of the things with the theatre in London was um, they kept saying, well. Will any of your material be be offensive or or derogatory about people? <laughs> and I kept saying, "Yeah, but all of it. I, all, that's what I do. That's that's who I am. That's the work I do. Everyone is potentially offended by the things I draw, <laughs> and it's all derogatory." And I and I, I said at one point, "Look, if if my show was called Donald Trump is an idiot, and all it was." <laughs> was draw offensive drawings about Donald Trump, we would not be having this conversation and you would probably be booking me for two months to do this thing. It's not about you have these overarching values or you can't upset anybody. It's very specific ideas that you won't allow in the public sphere. That's all any of this is. Mm. Yeah. yeah, it's 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 all wrong, Bob. But my hope is that, and I mean, I think you're, freaking incredible cartoonist so my hope is that you will maintain it um and just keep going and 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 pressing those buttons the thing is unfortunately time is now running against us so let's just quickly come in for a landing and talk about how um, i can follow you well yes yeah, so uh i'm on i'm on twitter uh or x whatever you call it now um at bob's cartoons i'm on instagram as bob moran artist uh, I have a Telegram channel. Can't remember what that's called. I think it's just Bob Moran. And uh, my website is bobmoran.co.uk. You can see pretty much all my work on there and buy prints and paintings. And stay, people should stay tuned because we are going to do my show again. And we're just trying to work out how and where. But um, it's definitely happening again. So I'll let people know as soon as I know. Just very quickly, X, what an incredibly dumb name. Well, dumb or yeah, or, or very symbolic and intentional. Yes, uh, yes, knows? but I mean, it's confusing because you you say you can't say tweet anymore. What do you say? A, a post? <laughs> oh yeah, I see what you mean. Yeah, I kissed you. Yeah, <laughs> no, no one really calls. Most people still call it Twitter. Um, yes. It's, yeah, it's weird. I don't. I mean, Elon Musk is. I, I, Again, people are quite blind to him. I, th I don't. I don't really think, on balance, he's on our side. Um, maybe not as obviously you, as Donald Trump is not on our side, but he plays a funny game, though, God. Elon. There was an interesting clip I saw the other day of some guy saying to him, uh, people were mocking this and saying how how smart Elon Musk seemed. About you know, he was saying a computer will never be as intelligent as a human being. And, you know, Musk is kind of going, oh, no, no, I disagree with that, disagree. And he was sort of saying, well, there are things a computer will never be able to do that a human being can do. And he's like, oh, no, that's that's not true at all. No, no. that." And and you think, yeah, he's he's so he's so um, much brought into this idea that we're essentially just these meaningless sacks of flesh and, and the computers Bob, are so much better than we could be. Got to pull you in, my friend. Time's against us. Okay. Bob Moran. Thank you for joining me in the trenches. Thanks for having me, man. It's been great.
been great. Yes. And thank you, Alex and Joel, uh, for, for keeping the show going. Send me an email, Germ Warfare at TNT Radio Live. I'll catch you tomorrow. My name is Germ. This is Germ Warfare, the Battle of Ideas.